Let's hit it. Welcome first-time listeners and returners to the Sports Deli, where everyone deserves a seat at the table, especially our next incredible guest. So grab your favorite deli sandwich or bagel and your favorite beverage, and let's do this together in the Sports Deli. Welcome, everyone, as we are joined today on this 10th day of Black History Month, 133 days until the historic 50th anniversary of Title IX, June 23rd, 2022, by an incredible huddle of Chiros. These pioneers broke barriers that included but were not limited to racial, gender, and the workplace, unbeknownst to many, even today. Today's queens include Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter, president of Legends of the Ball, who played in the first professional women's basketball league in the history of the United States, and as she loves when I say, the original W, the WBL, the Women's Basketball League. Accompanying Elizabeth today is Adrian Mitchell Newell, secretary of Legends of the Ball, who also played in the original W. And joining us shortly will be Patricia Trish Roberts, board member of Legends of the Ball, who played in the WBL as well, and who also played for Tennessee's legendary coach, Pat Summit, rest in peace, and who was a member of the first ever women's Olympic basketball team in the history of the United States in 1976. We also have Deborah D.K. Thomas, board member of Legends of the Ball, who also played in the WBL, and Judy Sweet, the first female president in the history of the NCAA and former director of athletics at the University of California, San Diego, UCSD. Today, we're, among other things, going to discuss the WBL Sisters campaign, Know Their Names, Speak Their Names, which includes three projects, and today you will hear the rest of the story. And as Elizabeth so eloquently shares in one of her campaign letters, a generation of trailblazers who changed the trajectory of women's basketball during and after Title IX lies in obscurity, hidden and unrecognized for the historic and social impact they had on women in sports. The campaign focuses on the basketball trailblazers whose exploits are the stuff of legends. We will also be talking about Title IX, its significance today, how it all began and its impact going forward. And finally, last but not least, we will be talking about the late Lucy Harris, the queen of basketball, who was the first black woman, the first female college player ever to be enshrined into the Basketball Hall of Fame and first to be drafted by an NBA team, the New Orleans Jazz, now the Utah Jazz. You can find out more information about these incredible legends, these trailblazers at legendsoftheballinc.org, as well as, as we shared with you last time they came on, their very interesting Instagram moniker, legends underscore of underscore the underscore ball underscore ink. So ladies, uh, all of you always have an open invitation uh, on this show at any time you want to be a co-host or talk about what you're going to talk about today. And uh, I'm always just truly humbled and honored to be in your presence. Welcome to the Sports Deli once again, where everyone deserves a seat at the table especially all of you legends. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. Can't wait to, to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today. And, and you all, <laughs> uh, like, like we talked about in the intro, you know, a lot of it is in obscurity still. And mm-hmm. uh, we really want to raise awareness and uh, share with everyone uh, who listens and watches uh, just how important your contributions were on so many levels. Well, Michael, when we first came on New Year's Day and we opened the year with you, um, within a couple of weeks, we lost Althea Gwynn, a legendary player. She was a finalist for the first weight trophy. It Blaise Jowski ended up uh, winning the weight trophy, but it was between those two. And a great uh, player at Queens College. Uh, international player, WBL player, All-American at Queens. And um, we, were, we were reeling from that. And then uh, to lose Lucy right behind that was just, both were just serious blows and just devastating. So um, 
with that said, Lucy's documentary, and we watched her services, and her daughter said something that just stuck with me. She said, mom was living her best life. Mm. Through all that she'd been through, all the highs and lows, uh, she was living her best life. And uh, she was receiving so many accolades and even more than she already had received. Actually, people were knowing about those accolades. And um, she was touring and being interviewed and preparing for what now would be an appearance at the Academy Awards. You know, her her documentary was just nominated for an Academy Award. And Mm. so the loss enough is bad enough, but the fact that she was getting that recognition and living to see it and being given her flowers by everyone is really heartbreaking for us. We gave Lucy her flowers and so many around her gave her her flowers, but there was so much more for her to to receive. Yeah, Adrian, go ahead. It's unfortunate that a lot of people didn't know about Lucy until she passed when everybody started talking, well, she's done this and she's done that and she's all that. You know, and people were calling us and saying, uh, why didn't I know about this young lady? You know, what, what, why didn't I know? And, you know, and that's, that's what Legends of the Ball is trying to, you know, get out to people. Your history of women's basketball, well, history period, but in our case, women's basketball is so important. And for people not to know about Lucy Harris, that's just, I mean, that's devastating to us. Mind-blowing. You know? Yeah. Adrian, I I agree. This is Trish. There's Trish. <laughs> we got on. Um, Lucy was a very dear friend of mine, and we, um, you know, cemented our bond as friends uh, during the Olympics. And then the very next year, we played against each other. She at Delta State, and me at Tennessee. And over the years, we have just kept in contact. <laughs> when we were at um, the Hall of Fame. It was ironic because I went to check into my hotel room and I looked around and Lucy was almost directly across the hall from me going into her room. And so I kind of set up a meeting so that Lucy could meet with Law. And we just had a wonderful time. I'm so glad that we got that opportunity to spend time with her and speak with her. And then this past October, she was doing an interview here in Atlanta. And she called me up and I met her at the hotel. We went over and I spent a few hours with her, just chatting with her. And, you know, I look back now and I'm just so thankful that I got to spend that time with her. And then we were just texting uh, during the night of the NCAA uh, football national championships. And, you know, I'm from Georgia and she was texting me, how about them dogs? Even though I didn't go to the University of Georgia. <laughs> and, you know, we were just going back and forth. And then a few days, days later, I found out that, you know, she's gone. And it's just unfortunate because, you know, even though we were friends, we played against each other, we played with each other, she was my <laughs> idol. Mm-hmm. Trish, that's, I'm going to jump on that, Trish, because um, she was our queen. And we talk about um, every generation has that one player that becomes the face of that generation. I mean, you can look at mm-hmm. players today and you can go, whether it's the Cheryl Miller era. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I will say Lynette Woodard, whom Adrian played mm-hmm. with, you know, that era. And you move on to the Cheryl Swoops era, you know, every player, that one player represents kind of the era. We look to Lucy. She was our queen first. There Mm -hmm. are so many queens in that era. If nothing Mm -hmm. more in the loss of Lucy and Althea, if we don't glean anything else from it, there should be an interest in wanting to know who they played against, who existed with them, who were the other players of that era. And that's our battle cry. We want to dedicate, uh, know their names, speak their names to Althea and to Lucy and to all the other women still in the shadows of that generation. Well, and what you're doing brings awareness to it. And like we talked about the last time you were here, you know, on the men's side, we know the history of the game. And on the women's side, we just we just do not. And I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else for that, uh, as I've you know been on the women's side for 15 years. It wasn't something that I actively sought out to know the history of the game. I was just coaching college basketball and, you know, and trying to do my best to impart my wisdom and pay it forward. But, but we should know the history of the game, certainly. 
Yes. Um, it's so the campaign um, is is multifaceted. Obviously, we're targeting the broadcasters, the historians, the colleges themselves with the campaign. Um, Alumni proud, find your trailblazers. So that's going to be a campaign that's going to go directly to the coaches and the student athletes and the SIDs at the universities where the women of the WBL played. Uh, those were your first collegiate All-Americans, your first African-Americans. We've said this time and time again, played on the very first teams as a result of Title IX. And uh, if I think it would be such a fun project to go back and find who your trailblazer was. They might be just AIAW, they may be AIAW, Title IX, and WBL. Uh, that's who we're starting off with. But I, I just think it's a great way to, to honor Title IX and, and to engage that group. We also want to engage the WNBA in some projects and the broadcasters to help us get the word out on these projects. And so before the NCAA was the Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, that's what you're referring to. And yes. so I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't talk to you, all of you, because uh, obviously four of you are women of color. Judy uh, was in that space in a different way as a woman, uh, you know, <laughs> breaking down walls in, in so many different ways as well uh, mm -hmm. as the first uh women's uh, athletic director at the, the University of California, San Diego, as well as the first uh, female president in the history of the NCAA. But when you guys were growing up, I, I don't think it ever gets old. And I think people need to understand what I talked about in the intro in terms of the barriers that all of you had to face. Uh, and some of you were secluded in institutions where you didn't face it as much as you did maybe when you stepped outside of those uh, arenas, no pun intended, but w what was it like growing up, you know, when we were changing the way that we saw voting and, you know, everything in between uh, civil rights and, you know, Title IX sort of having those intersecting points? Um, that's a, a very, very interesting question because um, I didn't even learn about the civil rights movement until I uh, got bused to a integrated school. And I was put in a special class that specifically taught uh, civil rights, where you learned about what Martin Luther King was doing and uh, all the, you know, the voting and how black, pe black people were treated. And I was like, I'd come home and tell my parents, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening in the world. I, I knew nothing up until that point. And then when I was in high school, you know, when Martin Luther King got assassinated, I was at Central High School in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I had known about him then because, you know, it's all over the TV, his movements and uh, support and all the uh, activists and marches. So, you know, in our area, it did become, you know, the riots because people were upset. And, uh, you know, and, and a, it's a young lady, a white lady girl who lived up the street from me. And, and she was said, I said, where are you going? She says, I'm going home. I said, well, I'm going too. <laughs> so, you know, we just, we went home and just start watching on TV. But, you know, just for me to not to know until that point when I was in like uh, seventh, eighth grade, you know, and I, you know, it might've took it taken longer but it took an integrated school for me to even learn that. So. And Adrian, you're Adrian's from Kansas City. So that could be part of that. I'm from Texas. And mm -hmm. um, I grew up uh, integrated first through fifth grade, segregation, first through fifth grade. And then they started taking us over by class. And so um, in 1968, they, they took us all over to the white school. So we we integrated then. So I grew up in segregation and then went through integration. And I was always aware and I was very um, into history. My mother was my first history teacher. So I was blessed to be taught about things and told about things. I knew the musicians, the great athletes of the era. I knew about Stephen Fetchin and Cap Calloway and Count Basie and Lena, because she mm. taught me, she taught me that stuff. I certainly didn't learn it in school. Real but, history. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, oh. Well, being here from Georgia in Atlanta, I was grew up in the middle. 
Yeah. Of, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> of you knew birth. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I went to an all-Black school from the first through the eighth grade. And mm-hmm. then in ninth grade, they uh, switched us over. Uh, but before then, they had a thing called freedom of choice. You can decide where you wanted to go to school. And I have a brother who decided to go to the white school. And uh, he was there two years before they decided to integrate all those schools. And my mm. first year in high school, uh, first day of practice, I remember my basketball coach, he had all the white kids on one end and all the black kids on the other end. Mm. And we were just looking at you like, why is he doing this? And um, I had some white friends that I had played with in the rec league and they kept saying, Patricia, come down here with us. And I kept saying, I can't, I can't. Wow. And so, yeah. And so um, after that, it was once he realized what he was doing and there were a lot of complaints in the school, then he had us all practicing together. But I can remember the very first day of, I can remember the very first day of school. They had to, um, seat us in the classroom in alphabetical order uh, because the first day of class all the white kids was on one side all the black kids were on the other side and I remember the first day I went to my locker and I was right next door to a white guy and we just kind of happened to brush up against each other and you would have thought that someone had beaten that guy up he was screaming and yelling oh she touched me she touched me I mean, things like that is, is wow. what I went through. And then when I went to college, I was always the only black player on the team. And when I went to University of Tennessee, I was the first black player uh, to play for, for Pat. And I experienced some things, um, you know, there. Um, a certain SEC school, we went there. And um, I can't remember. Yeah, it was halftime. I went through the tunnel and they started throwing orange peelings at me and hitting me in the head with orange peelings. And, um, you know, Pat, of course, went and found the AD and, and told the AD about it. And then I remember on a road trip, I was always the last one to get served, no matter what restaurant we went to. And one time they didn't even bring my food. And so all my teammates were getting up and going back to the room because it was our pregame meal. And so I just got up and went with them. And then our manager happened to tell Pat, Trish never got her food. Mm-mm. And so uh, Pat had the manager to bring my meal to my room. Now, those are just some of the things that I experienced, but I never let it phase me. You know, I, I love basketball. I just wanted to play. And so I just did what I had to do. Let me ask you guys a question because I want to hear from DK, I wanted to, I was just going to say, DK, did yeah. you have, from Texas too, did you have any? See, I went to, to the white school when I was in the sixth grade. I was scared to death. I didn't want to go. Cause I, at that time, a lot of stuff was happening in my hometown. And my mom said, you going, they're going to integrate eventually. So you get your head start. We'll go ahead and do this. I'm going to tell you in those days back then, it was really, really hard for me, but you know, there was things I wanted to do and I knew if I had to do it, I have to just, you know, woman up <laughs> and, and take those chances. Like Trish, there was a lot of stuff, you know, when I, Play college ball. I was treated basically the same way that she was when we go to restaurants. Um, they would bring your glass of water to the table instead of sitting it down. You slam it on the table, and water flies everywhere. And you know, and some of the girls that I was with, some of my teammates, which was white girls, they didn't like that, and and they kind of stood up for me. And Coach Gunner did the same thing. You know, it's, it was just hard, but there was just something like. Yeah, uh, so just some things that we had to do, I had to go through with. But like Trish, I wanted to play ball. That's all I knew. That's all I, all I ever wanted to do. And, uh, you know, once I got into the feel of it, everything was good. A lot of people didn't like me because I was good, but, you know, oh, well. But um, Can I just say that she said, Sue Gunner, that's um, uh, Brenda Van Lingen's project, which really – is a precursor to us. Uh, if not for them, mm-hmm. the four of us played for some of those coaches she's talking about. She mentioned Sue Gunner, and I'm sure Judy right. Street knows who Sue Gunner was. Sue oh, Gunner, yes. um, who went on from Stephen F. Austin to LSU, 
And then Adrian, of course, played for Marion Washington. And Trish, of course, you know, played for Pat Summit. And I played for Fran Garman. I also played for Dan Ayala at UNLV. I have to mention him, even though he's not the subject, because he was such an innovator at that time. But that project, if not for them, kind of pre precursor to us, know their names, speak their names. And Brenda, that's a Brenda Van Lingen project. And it's all on the law board. There are six of us who played for the, some of the coaches that she's um, she's featuring. And that would be Peggy Gillum with Lynn Dunn and Van Chancellor. And then, um, did I miss anybody? I'm missing one. Oh, Rita Swindell, of course, with Jody Conrad. And I'm sure Judy knows all these names. And um, Annie, of course, played for Billy Moore, uh, uh, Donna Giles Orinder, and uh, the late Althea played for Lucille Cavallos. And then we have the great Margaret Wade, and that's who Lucy played for. So these were the women, these are the, the features in that project. And we often say we are the players that helped jumpstart their careers because we were their first players, their first All-Americans, their first African-Americans, their first um, players who really took their programs, uh, helped them jumpstart their programs. Absolutely. Uh, Trish, did you want to jump in? Because before I ask uh, Judy a question, I, I wanted to throw something out there and get, get your, your thoughts on it. So I wanted to ask you this question. <clears throat> so I had a conversation with Adnisha Curry. And I'm sure you all know who she is. She's an assistant coach yep. with the Portland Trailblazers. Mm -hmm. And she was at the University of Maine. She's done a lot of things. Played played in the Ooh. W. Yeah. So, Trish? no. I'm sorry, Michael. You'll find out in a minute, Michael. Go ahead. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> but I think this part, I think this part will relate to everybody because, you know, I can uh, be pretty persistent when it comes to reaching out to people and, and requesting things and, and DMing people. So anyways, so her and I had started to talk when she was at Maine and she's, you know, going to come on the show eventually. And there was a day she started DMing me and she said, first thing she said was I'm tired. And I knew exactly what she meant. And then we proceeded over the next 20 minutes uh, to talk about she wasn't tired from the day and working that day and that type of thing, but she was just tired as a black woman. And I literally started crying because the, the way that she was explaining it to me was she had over a hundred messages. She had not opened yet. You know, she was going through this sort of transformational historical kind of position with Portland as a black woman. Uh, from basically obscurity, like we're talking about today, in a lot of ways at Maine, no one knew, knew about her until she's at Portland now. And so she's spending 20 minutes with some old white guy and talking about how tired she was from being pulled in so many different directions as a black woman. And so it just, uh, man, it just, it just resonated with me. It struck a chord with me. And I, I've had a lot of conversations with people on this show uh, over the course of the last three seasons of the sports deli. And that really was probably something that, uh, was as powerful as anything that I've ever experienced. And it was in, it was, it was in an exchange of, of an Instagram message, but can you all speak to how, from when you were the pioneers and the trailblazers going forward, how inspired you are, but also exhausted, you know, so that people have a better understanding of what it's truly like to be a black woman in America. Mm -hmm. I was a head coach at the University of Maine for four years. And um, we were a very good team at that time. The we first, first African-American coach at Maine. We won two conference championships and runner up the next year. And, and one of the reasons I left was because at that time, every conference didn't have a automatic bid in the mm -hmm. NCAA. So I felt like I'd done everything I could do there. We were never going to the big dance. And so I left there and, of course, went to the University of Michigan. But sorry, my bad. And the, and the women the women are great this year. I mean, they're their final four, like, man, in every way. Sorry, I had to throw that in there because besides K-State, like, I love Michigan. 
this year. <laughs> They're amazing. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> my four years at Maine were, were pretty good because I had an awesome athletic director and Kevin White. Uh, I don't know if you may know him. He was at Notre Dame as the AD and he just retired at Duke, but wow. he did his PhD. He did his dissertation for his PhD on Title IX. So he was very supportive of me in the years that I was there. Anything I needed, anything, you know, the press, even though they were going after me, he would settle that down. And then he left before I left. And when he left, I could tell the difference. And Mm -hmm. so I followed the year afterward. But Mm -hmm. um, I had a good experience at Maine. Mm -hmm. I did. Now, Liz is going to follow up. <laughs> I'll let you follow up, Liz. Well, the thing is, Trish was the, the first African-American head coach there. And uh, it's ironic, uh, and no offense to Ednisha Kerr, no offense at all to her, but um, I know she got a lot of acclaim for being an assistant coach with the men. Yeah. And, but, <clears throat> and there were a lot of comments, and I, I, I texted her called Trish. There were a lot of comments about her and what she had accomplished. And we're, we are always for our sisters. I mean, our African-American sisters and our sisters in general. That's one thing mm-hmm. about our generation. We just need them to reciprocate. But mm-hmm. we, we were just astounded that, 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 that no one had told her that Trish Roberts had been the first African-American head coach at the University of Maine. She had a role model um someone to look up to and i hope you'll get that message to her i hope she'll see this that she and and if i can't if there is nothing else we were there we are still here and that's the big secret that's the big kept secret Mm -hmm. nobody knows about it a lot of things that Mm -hmm. they think are innovative or just been there done that and to me that is such an affront to history it's such an affront to any young person that you might inspire in point in case she could have been inspired. So you cheat. Everybody gets cheated. The historians get cheated. Those who come after us get cheated. Somebody that looked like you, that went through what you went through, and that actually maybe made your path a little smoother, and you don't know about it. How can this be? And so that's why I chuckled when you said that, because when we, when Trish and I started coaching and others on the board, we there was an influx right after the WBL folded. It, it coincided with the formation of the WBCA. And I'd really like for Judy to chime in on this. It coincided with the WBCA. So you have all these WBLers that flooded the coaching ranks. And we, that's another one of our projects, the thousand plus, because we have over mm-hmm. a thousand years of collective coaching among the WBL members. It might be closer to 2000 once we get through tallying, but we started off with the thousand. We were those who became the first African-American assistant coaches. Trisha and I became first African-American head coaches at predominantly white institutions. Mm -hmm. And so nobody knows this. And I hear all these uh, milestones. They talk about, oh, the African-American coaches and we're getting, and we are going, yay, we cheer for Don. We cheer for Adia Barnes. We cheer for all of them that get, but what we don't understand is why they don't know about that influx when we were really breaking through those barriers and becoming head coaches at these division one predominantly white institutions. Judy, I'd love to hear your input on that during that time when, uh, when we entered the WBCA, it was growing and we helped it grow. Our group did, our era did. Well, thank you. And thank you to all of you for what you've done. And it really saddens me to hear some of the challenges that you faced. It's, just not right. Mm -hmm. And I think I shared on our last discussion, one of the things I was most proud of during my time with the NCA was initiating the Minority Opportunities and Interest Committee. And at that point in time, I was secretary treasurer of the NCA and all of the officers knew that it was important for us to be a part of that committee, that it needed to be an integrated committee in order for it to really have teeth. Mm -hmm. It saddens me also to hear you say that people don't know about your rich history. They should. Unfortunately, too often, I think today's coaches are so focused on their success as a team 
that they don't talk about history. Mm -hmm. I can tell you there are so many student athletes that don't even know about Title IX. Yes. Because nobody tells them about it. And they don't realize that if it hadn't been for Title IX, in the same way, if it hadn't been for all of you, we wouldn't have the rich experiences that students are having today. So I think it's incumbent upon all of us to impress upon those who are working in the field that history is critical, that it's not just about the playing time, but it's about educating these young people. Yes. They need to understand that when things are not right, that they have to speak up. They need to know what their rights are, and they don't. That is very disturbing to me. So I, you have my commitment to help get your word out, and we all need to work together to make sure that we don't lose this rich history. Yeah. It's so ironic that we do celebrate our civil rights history in that uh, as young kids, of course, we all knew about Dr. King and Rosa Parks. And the thing is, and boy, are they important, but our history with the Civil War is so much broader and deeper than those two icons. But right. it's still coming up, you, you, uh, you know and appreciate that history. And so it seems like it would be a natural progression for them to want to know about how they got to where they are. And I, I could be wrong, and I'm obviously I am, but I do think there are some of the young players we talked to, and we just spoke with some at the Ray Pond event, uh, win for KC, where our advisory board member Ray Pond received an award. And we talked to Rusha Brown and Ruthie Bolton, and they said, we just didn't know, two former WNBA players, we just didn't know. So I really think that if they know, I think they will embrace it. I really I do, as, as well as Neka Agumake and uh, DK ran into Mariah Jefferson at a game who plays for the Dallas Wings. And they were, everybody has been really receptive to it. Nothing has happened because I think somebody has to take it and launch something. And that's what we're trying to do with these other campaigns and with the WNBA. So I will definitely reach out, Judy. I have some things I would love to see if you could help us with. Yep, definitely. And what you're saying is so important. If nobody tells them, they don't know what the history has been, what their rights are, and what they need to do going forward mm -hmm. to build upon the history that they've inherited. Yes. Well, and the administrators need to understand the history of Title IX as well. Administrators uh, and coaches, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I can think tell you how many times when I've talked to those groups, whether it's administrators or coaches, and I help them to understand Title IX, the response is, I had no idea. I didn't know. Yes. Whose responsibility is it though? At what point, okay, my mom taught me history as I was speaking. I've been a historian my whole life and I think she might've peaked that as well as some of my early teachers uh, when we were segregated were some of the most influential people in my life. But, um, it's at what point do you take it upon yourself to know history? And then uh, the historians themselves don't always know. The, the bastions of our history, you know, they don't always know. And then the broadcasters don't know. And so that's, that's what we're tackling. Those are the groups that we are targeting to try to get everybody. And, and Title IX's 50th anniversary seems to, and the, the loss of Lucy uh, and Althea seems to be the perfect time to try to uh, engage and educate and hopefully inspire because I think if they knew these stories Lucy, how can you not be inspired by Lucy's story mm. but you can be inspired by Adrian's story and DK's story and Trisha's story and others who may not have that name recognition who knows where you'll get your inspiration from there may be somebody from Kansas City or had the same pathway that Adrian took or from a small town in Texas, like DK and I, or from Georgia and went through what Trish, you don't know where the inspiration lies. So you cheat them out. Everyone gets cheated when that history isn't out there. Yeah, totally agree with you. And I really think it's a matter of the coaches and the administrators taking the time to emphasize that and to teach yeah. the students because it's just not happening. They're so focused on yeah. 
the W's that they forget about the other elements that are so important to student athletes as people. Yeah, it's just not mandated and and it's not emphasized. Absolutely. Um, anything else about the campaign? Because uh, I wanted to ask you about Don's and Becky's contract and and how that you know is viewed and what what a step in the right direction that is. Well, we just want people to. Um, we're going to be going to. Um, it's going to be launching within a within the next couple of weeks. Uh, there are going to be talks about it. Adrian. Um, Brenda Van Lingen is calling a game between Kansas State and Kansas this weekend, and she's going to give us a, a mention because Adrian is going to be featured. You know, Adrian is, is our board is so acclaimed and so decorated. Amazing. You know, just our board. I mean, we're not talking about just right. the magic all the rest of, but our upon our board is just a, a very decorated group. So we're going to be launching that, and. Uh, is continuing to celebrate Lucy and, and Althea, know their names, speak their names. We're going to have t-shirts. We're going to have um, posts, you know, throughout the rest of the month for Black History Month, but throughout the rest of the year. And we hope to culminate it at the uh, Women's Basketball Hall of Fame induction right mm -hmm. before the, the June 23rd anniversary. So it'll be a six, well, five months, I guess now, five month long campaign and uh, we hope people will pay attention to our social media and keep up to date with it. And we hope if there are any uh, college coaches that are privy to this, that they'll be listening and get involved with their kids. It's a great way to teach them history and have fun with it and hopefully be inspired by it. Anybody else want to comment on it? Yeah, well, our third uh, project, uh, which uh, we haven't mentioned yet, is we're trying to get caught our, our Title IX story, my mm -hmm. Title IX story. Mm -hmm. And so we're asking uh, WBL players to send us, so you know, a short paragraph on their Title IX story and uh, what Title IX did for them and how it helped them succeed. So that's that's another aspect um, of our campaign. Where are you going to post those stories? What are you going to do with them? We're going to post them, but and also we're going to have a big display at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. But we're going to be posting them and we hope to get them posted during the Women's History Month. Uh, I don't know that we'll have time to do too many during um, Black History Month. Um, and but that's kind of a, an in-house thing that we want to uh, add to our display, our permanent display at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. Do you have some suggestions there? I do. The Women's Sports Foundation <laughs> is going to gather stories. And oh. including your stories is really, really critical. So it doesn't have to just say local, take it national. Yeah, Judy's referring to the Women's Sports Foundation, Billie Jean King's foundation, uh, Phaedra Knight is the current president. And so that's a great idea. I, I, I wondered, I know you talked about uh, collaborating with the WNBA also, because it's important that they know the history. Yes, you know? it is. So, you know, I think if there's a, a way to work with them and, you know, uh, sort of tag team them with with different former players of the WBL. That would be an amazing thing, you know. Like uh, each person has one person that they they team up with to learn about. You know, like when you're in like school, a buddy? right? Yeah, like, like a, bu a, buddy. a buddy system. So everybody in WNBA has one person that they have to learn about. And and we're gonna. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, when we talked to Rusha Brown, who's president of the Retired Players Association, we've been in touch with. Uh, we're trying to get in touch with NECA. Mm -hmm. uh, who who was in um, Molly Bolin Casmer, one of our board, our vice president, was mm -hmm. in an event at an event with NECA where they were both going to be included in this documentary. NECA was totally engaged in it and saying the same thing we didn't know. So I think if we can get to them and eventually get to Kathy Engelbert right. and um, and try to tie this in. Just from all the players we've been in contact with, uh, I just feel that it's just a matter of them not knowing. Absolutely. So that's I, I like that idea as well. But we do have a plan for to uh, connect. Pen pal. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. Maybe that's not the right. But that's what. Was, but uh, similar to that, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. I, maybe I'll include that in our proposal to them. But and we're also working with the Aces, who I must say, Mark Davison, his whole group, and I know you're going to lead into that, are very much into the history 
of the game and honoring and celebrating women's history and creating new history. So we can, with that, unless somebody has anything else, we can kind of go right into what you were going to talk about. So, uh, you know, there's statistics on this, right? Uh, that women don't make as much as men in general and women of color don't make as much as the both of them, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, um, you know, the Pew Research Center states that it's about 84 cents on the dollar versus their white male counterparts. And for women of color, it's 20 percentage points less, 60 cents on the dollar. Is this good or bad when Don Staley signs a seven-year $22.4 million contract and Becky Hammond signs a million-dollar contract? Or does it sort of distort or hide the, the issues that still exist today? Well, personally, I think it's long overdue. Um, it's yeah. unfortunately, though, that Dawn has had to prove herself. Um, you know, I think without the success that she has had in South Carolina, of course, she would not have gotten it. Um, I mean, people don't I realize she what she did at Temple. I mean, <laughs> you know. She did a great job at Temple, but they didn't give her the contract that she deserved. That's probably why she left. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it's good for women's basketball. And I think in the future, you're going to see some that's going to follow suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I always think somebody has to be first. Somebody has to step out and make that and take that big step and take that chance. And so he, he's the first in doing it. Same thing with Don. Somebody has to be first and kind of set the bar. You know, you raise the bar and then you set the bar. And so I love what Mark Davis, how he defended, you know, Cam- Cambage was not happy with it, but he was, he was like, you're absolutely right, Liz. Yeah. Players should be getting more, but it shouldn't be either or. Why can't it be right. celebrate the fact that a woman achieved this and we continue to work for the players' salaries to increase? So I, I really didn't take her stance. I was happy to see her. Yes, I'm for the players getting more, but I was also happy to see a, a female coach. You know, we don't have that many female coaches in the WNBA. Right. So I was, I was, uh, you know, was happy. And as, as far as Dawn, I think she earned it. Just one word, she earned it. Well, let's just establish the fact uh, that she brings in more money to that program and she's probably underpaid even with that. That's what I mean. She has earned it. State that for a fact. She has earned it. It wasn't a gift. She earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad people are uh, standing up in a way that we really haven't seen, uh, not just since the murder of George Floyd, but you know, and since Colin, but there's not as much backlash as there used to be. You know, when people would stand out, they would lose endorsements, they would lose contract opportunities. Yes. Now it's encouraged because of people like you who, who laid the foundation for everything from what you did on and off the court, but to being a voice during a time that was much more difficult than what they're going through now. And, you know, Rick Barry spoke about this on the men's side. He made $8,000 a year when he was on our show. He talked about it. And the guys mm-hmm. now have no idea about what it was like, just like nobody now really has any understanding of what it was like back then because they can't truly understand it. And mm-hmm. so that's why it's so important, you know, what you're doing in terms of this campaign and educating people and making sure that we never forget. Yeah. And I just wanted to yeah. say one more thing. Mark Davis commented on, and that's what we always talk about, that little girls, whether it's uh, watching us have a female vice president or in any position or Judy in her role or any position that uh, you know, breaks the mold, uh, you inspire and you give young girls, young coaches who are wanting to, to that they can see that that woman, that female coach is making a million dollars. So who knows who the next Becky Hammond will be? Because you've just inspired yeah. them. You've just shown them that there's a pathway to that. And I, I want to say this as well, because when I heard Muffin McGraw a couple of years ago talk about this, I thought she was spot on, mm-hmm. you know, that that women a lot of times, not always need to check every single box before they apply for a job. And we don't advocate and that's all of us. We don't advocate for women the same way we advocate for men. Right. Right. Like when I applied for that job at UCSD 30 some odd years ago and Judy turned me down. I was like, man, I could do this job. I'm the best in the world, right? I had all the confidence in the world. And and a lot of people wouldn't even apply on the women's side. And so we need to not only, you know, uh, have women applying, right? Because not only because they deserve seats at the table, 
but they're as if not more capable. And, you know, we need to not only from that perspective, we need to, uh, as white men, uh, in terms of women of color applying for these jobs, be allies, because a lot of this issue is a white issue. And so that's why I said, you know, when I brought up Anisha about her being tired, you know, there's been a lot of screaming and yelling and, and pleading for, for hundreds of years, but, you know, more recently decades. And so this is why I'm so critical of people that do not use their platform, whether it's the white quarterbacks in the NFL or the white owners or any other white spaces that control anything. When you're not trying to consciously and deliberately every day create equitable opportunities for people. And so that's my biggest gripe is, is when people do not use their platforms and yeah, people be like part Dr. of the solution, be, be part, part of the solution. solution. And so that's what, you know, that's what Judy has done. Dr. Richard Lapchick, you know, and, and, and other people in these spaces. And that's why, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm nothing compared to the two of them, but I'm trying to do my best to, to be a layer. I have followed Dr. Right. Lapchick for a long time. So. He's yeah. an amazing person. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, Judy, anything else that you want to add about Title IX? You know, people don't really understand all of Title IX, and, and there's a lot of, oh, well, women's sports, you know, they're coming in, and, and our programs are going away because of them, or, you know, not, and, and as of two years ago, there was another uh, addition to it or an extrapolation of it in terms of sexual harassment and, you know, in terms of anything that has to do with federal funding and elementary you know, or secondary, you know, schools in addition to intercollegiately. So do you want to touch on that so people have a better understanding really of, of the, uh, you know, wide ranging uh, impact of Title IX? Sure. First of all, there's a lot of misinformation right. in addition to lack of information. So when Title IX became law in 1972, didn't mention anything about athletics. It was an educational initiative. Yes. But because there were so many disparities in athletics between what was offered for boys and girls, men and women, the focus was on athletics. And a lot of people don't realize where it really had a major impact was getting women into law school and to medical school, where there might have been a 5% quota of women in medical school and law school. And now those schools are more than 50%. Mm -hmm. So that was the first bit of misinformation that people didn't realize wasn't about athletics. And as Michael just mentioned, now the focus is on sexual harassment. Right. And as a result of that, people often don't talk about the impact on athletics. The one message that I try to deliver consistently is don't we wanna treat our sons and daughters the same? That's really what Title IX is about. Would our sons be willing to accept the opportunities that our daughters are having and the support that they're getting? Would our daughters be willing to accept the support and opportunities that our sons are getting? And most times our daughters would love to have what our sons are getting, and the sons might raise their eyebrows about, oh, I'm not so sure. And I was just on a conference call a week ago with congressional representatives. And one of the members of the group that I was with was a father who spoke up about the fact that he has a son and a daughter and his son is getting so much more than his daughter in athletic support. And that made him an advocate for Title IX. And it goes back to when Title IX was under assault by the Bush administration in 2003. They blamed Title IX for the fact that a lot of schools had dropped wrestling programs and some other individual sports for men. And it wasn't because of Title IX, it was because these institutions were deciding they didn't want to sponsor those sports any longer. But unfortunately, many of them blame Title IX. So when the Bush administration was formed, it was really focused on weakening Title IX. And I remember very vividly, and this is a name that everyone should be aware of, Birch Bayh, who was a senator from Indiana, who worked with us in respect to making sure that Title IX wasn't weakened. And he went to the White House because he had contacts there, even though they were of a different party. And basically he said to them, 
do you really want to take on the soccer moms and dads? And that resonated. They understood that they didn't want to deal with both the men and women who had children who potentially were going to be discriminated against going forward. And that's what it takes. Just understanding we want to treat our sons and daughters the same. Powerful stuff. Anybody else want to piggyback that? That's tough to follow. That's very tough to follow. I just say, I think um, I'm very grateful for women like Judy. I'm very grateful for all of those who, those women who fought hard for the AIAW, for Title IX, because we have always been aware of our history. That's the difference. That's why I'm always asking, at what point is it your responsibility to know whose shoulders you stand on it. At some point, it's it's yours. We are all responsible, but every individual is accountable for knowing that history. Right. And I think in that context, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the loss of Christine Grant, yes. who is an AIW yes. president and mm-hmm. such a strong voice for gender equity and mm-hmm. Title IX. And I think back to the influence that she had on my career. She was always so passionate about doing the right thing. Yes. And we want to follow in her footsteps. And, and we want everybody to, we knew about those giant women. We knew about them. Mm. And I guess, I don't know if it was because that was our era, but we also had, I know I had a coach that taught me history. Ms. Garman, who's a historian herself, taught us about that. Let us know about the players before. She still does. She's on our advisory board and she still talks to all of us about that history. And that's so you, are, you are spot on about the coaches have to take it upon themselves because my coach did and I did as a coach. And I know Shar and Trish and Retha, Adrian, those of us who coached, we also taught our kids about mm-hmm. history. As it should be. Yeah, because well, I didn't, you know, I think all of us or most of us can say we didn't know a whole lot about Title IX until we got to college. And so, mm-hmm. you know, through through Coach Washington and everything that was going on campus, other coaches and teachers, that's where I learned about Title IX. So right. a shout out to all those who was put up some big battles for us to be supposedly equal, you know, mm-hmm. so and uh, we have come a long way, but there's still quite a ways to go. That's right. And that's the important thing to remember. We've made progress, but here we are 50 years after the initiation yes. of a lot, and we're still not there. Not right. Yeah, well, uh, it also should be noted that Dr. Lapchik has suggested uh, many times that just like the Rooney rule, we should have the Judy Sweet rule at the college <laughs> level, <laughs> number of conferences, and maybe down the road, that's that's what it'll be, but it absolutely should be. And I know Bill Russell, you know, obviously is is worthy of that as well, mm-hmm. but Judy, Judy is as well, and I think that that would be something that would be well-deserved down the road. So anything in, in closing, ladies? Uh, man, <laughs> I just love sharing sharing space with uh, all of you, and, and uh I know Crystal sends her regards. She was trying to come in today. I, I invited you. Oh, I meant to reach out to her. I forgot to tell the well. board. I forgot to tell the board uh, that Crystal got picked up by Chicago. Yes. Oh, she's very excited. Yeah. She's, she's actually there right now. Uh, she's just setting up her apartment. And uh, oh, you know, it was so a scary happy. time for her. She made a mistake and, you know, uh, not yeah, everything was great. known about it. And so she, happy for her. We'll reach yeah. out. And yeah, then absolutely. Adrian will be in Chicago at some point. But yeah, I'll be in Chicago uh, next month. End of the yeah, month, fine. next month. Awesome, yeah. Definitely we'll reach definitely out reach out to her. I, that was on my list to put on the agenda, tell the board after I saw that. And I reached out to you and I said, is that our crystal? Is that? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I told you before, I've seen a lot of women's basketball. She's one of the most skilled players that I've I've ever seen. And so I think she's going to, you know, add some things, even if they don't have Courtney going forward this year. Yeah. So. And see, she'll be a spokesperson for us. I'm, I, I think the way in getting making connections with these individual players on these different teams when we do get to the point where we can talk to upper management we'll have an advocate absolutely from the players Mm -hmm. yeah well um much love and respect to thank you my utmost respect to all of you and for your journeys um and i do you want to talk about the documentary or anything else in closing well of course um (laughs) 
<laughs> we're still seeking funding. Um, we'll be working on a sizzle shortly. And uh, we time is not on our side. Uh, you know, we've lost two great voices that would have been uh, part of our documentary in Lucy and Althea and also the great Les Grobstein. I just want to pay homage to him. He was our radio guy for the Chicago, for the league, the Chicago yep, yep. Hustle, passed away suddenly in Chicago. And boy, they gave him a great tribute. All the sports casters, all the mm -hmm. sports writers, all the sports team in Chicago. He did it for the love. Um, mm -hmm. He had so many great stories to share about our league. And uh, we, I, I, so we were hit by Althea, by Les and by Lucy. Lucy. And uh, we've got to get these stories told. So we, we are still seeking funding. I just think in, in, if you look at Lucy's story of our queen and the queen of basketball, where there's one, there are others. And that's yeah. all we're trying to get out. Well, the WNBA just raised $75 million. I think that would be in their best interest to <laughs> possibly donate some of that for and that cause yeah 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 that's want to get our story told you know I, I think people would love to hear it and, and there's great story i mean it's a great story we just yeah. need some backing supporting each other <laughs> absolutely and, uh, getting support from others so we can well, get this story told do you want to share in closing, who of uh, the Title IX space or women's basketball space uh, would be at your dinner table if you could choose one person? I, you know, I guess we'd have to go with Patsy Meek. You know, she fought so hard for us, you know, and hmm. going to Congress. And I mean, she fought those men like you, hmm. you're going to do this for us. So if she could come to my table and I could have dinner and conversations <laughs> with her, I, I would love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Anybody else have a different name? I would actually do it. It's a name that somebody may not know, but I think was very, very involved in Title IX and uh, AIEW. Um, that would be Fran Koenig, um, former athletic director from Central Michigan University. Wow. Hmm. I'll have to look up her history. I don't know her. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. DK, anybody? If I had to go way, way back, I would go with my coach, Sue Gunner. Mm. I love that lady. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. At the top, I'm going to go with Judy. I'm going to go with uh, the, the coaches. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with those coaches and what they were thinking as they were taking on uh, this task of building these programs. Mm -hmm. so, uh, the ones that if not for them the, those coaches what were they thinking I mean if I could put myself in that position as a coach having this opportunity this first scholarship team and trying to bring in student athletes you know I would like to you know and and the thing is I think we they're still around for us to ask I have one of my own that I talk right. to every time mm -hmm. you know so I, I would have all of them <laughs> you can't have all of them <laughs> I would have as many as I could the dinner table. He said, "Who would I? I would have them at the dinner table to get all the different perspectives from those coaches." Yeah, awesome. awesome. What about you, Judy? Well, I'm going to throw out a name that you may not have heard before, but I hope, but I hope you'll do some research on her, and that's Bernice Sandler, or oh, Bunny I have, Sandler. and mm -hmm. she was very instrumental in doing the legwork for Title IX mm. as a result of being denied several positions that she should have been advanced to at the University of Maryland and being told that the reason that she was denied was get ready for this. You're too strong for a woman. And oh. I'll leave Oh, well, that's not new. Oh. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You might want to read her history because yeah, it's really good. very informative. Wow. I love coming on here because we, we don't get to share, we get. You know, and I just mm. love receiving all this knowledge. I mean, it just empowers you the more you know. Absolutely. It, it sends us back to the history book sometimes. You know, yeah. A couple names today I learned I need to go research on. Absolutely. We all are beautiful spirits. And I just I just uh, love uh, just sitting here and listening way more than, than I speak because uh, there's just so much to take in. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be back. We'll, we'll, yes, we'll have you back. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yes. yes. Everybody. Keep up the good thank work. You. Judy, thank you for joining us today. Thank it was a pleasant you. surprise. I'll be in touch. I'll be in okay. touch. I'll look right. Thank you.
Take enjoy care. enjoy March Madness, ladies, and the uh, upcoming 26th season of the WNBA and Athletes Unlimited and everything else that's going on in, in the women's basketball spaces. So, all right, everybody. Until next time, a historic podcast once again here with Judy Sweet and the legends of the ball. Thanks for sharing space with us today. We, we truly hoped you enjoyed that amazing interview. Remember, everyone, Black Lives Matter. Stop the bullying. Stop the Asian hate. Contact your local and state politicians for any inequalities for any individual or any group that's being marginalized. Also, everyone, we want to raise awareness for those individuals that are currently imprisoned for nonviolent offenses, in particular those with long-term sentences that are disproportionate in particular to those people in the black and brown community. And I want to send a shout out to 40tons.co. 40 Tons is a socially conscious cannabis brand. And they're a social enterprise using the regulated cannabis industry to fight injustice, in particular for cannabis prisoners. So check them out again at 40, the number four, the number zero, tons, plural, 40tons.co because what they're doing in the cannabis space and being a socially conscious company is truly incredible and uh, they have my full support. And also wanted to remind all of you, if you're having a tough time, you can always call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline and that number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. And they are available 24-7, 365 days a year. You can also always check me out on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. At Mike Hootner. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors. Breaking Tea, Sport RX, PSK Collective, City Lokes, and Moolah Kicks. Which you can see right here up on the screen. You can search them online. At BreakingTea.com, SportRx.com, PSKCollective.com, MoolahKicks.com, and CityLokes.com. And if you'd like to support us at the Sports Deli, we'd love to have you either make a one-time donation or feel free to make a donation monthly, either $0.99 a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. If you have uh, questions about that, Send me an email again to thesportsdeli at gmail.com and I will send you the link on how you can do that. Uh, you can also find it at the bottom of every podcast on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts. Link at the bottom to support the show. Please check out our website at thesportsdelipodcast.com. Make sure that we continue the conversations with regards to three strikes and you're out and mandatory minimums, especially people that are in jail for nonviolent offenses. So those things need to change. Until next time, remember it takes a village. For Dr. J and Coach K, I'm Hootie Hoot. This has been a production of Hootie Hoot Productions. Thank you for joining us in the sports deli where everyone deserves a seat at the table. Remember it takes a village. Much love, everybody. Peace. everyone we're gonna leave you with some outtakes here from today's podcast some fun stuff for you to listen to if you want some additional content here in the sports deli thanks again for joining us enjoy everybody judy hello how's everybody hey ladies i'm so glad you're on i have been meeting i got something to talk to you about so this is great hi michael
Hello, hello. Hi, Judy. How you doing? Uh, I'm feeling better today. I got a cough drop here, but feeling better today. I, I had a couple of bad days, so I think the worst are over. Okay. Hey, so. Yeah. Judy's here. Judy's here. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello. Hey, hey. How's everyone? Good. Yeah. Great to see you. Uh-oh. Got lotion? No, we can see you. Oh, okay. Something else come up on the screen. I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> Waiting on a couple others, I think. Yeah, okay. DK. I just DK had just texted me and I told her it was coming. So hello. Hey, are you getting on? Okay. Bye. Trish is getting on now. Oh, that's great. We really needed her to get on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She and Lucy were very close. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Does everybody have 85 degree weather today like Judy and I do? Actually, Texas <laughs> is pretty nice. It's not 80, but it's it's pretty nice. I have it. Where are you guys? Oh, hush, LA? It's San Diego. <laughs> oh, I'm in Miami. Oh, that's oh, why yes. I said oh hush. That's why I said oh hush. Amy. Everybody's in warm weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only 75, but that's oh, man. That's perfect. Yeah, I might go for a walk right Yeah. Dallas had snow again. That's just an yeah. We've had, but it's pray if prayerfully it won't be like last year where oh man pipes burst and Ugh. it was awful. I was heavily impacted. <laughs> I went on Clubhouse and heard a room talking about it. How they had food and supplies ready to go, but the trucks couldn't move and they had to basically turn around because of the icy conditions and how yeah. crazy it was. It was unreal. It wow. is. Well, that's Mother Nature for you. Yes, it is. What's your favorite thing in my background, Elizabeth? I'm always intrigued by your <laughs> background. <laughs> I love it. I move some things I see around. That I could tell a lot about you, point guard, uh, Detroit Lions fan. Um, Don't say that too loudly or too often, please. It is. I was just watching something on Barry Sanders the other day and just was reminded how great he was. I was like, oh, my goodness, was he special? Boy, I heard I'm, a foot, I'm a football fan. I love football. So yeah, I heard an interview with Barry a couple of days ago. He's he's one of the few guys that uh, was not braggadocious and no, just did his work. Just did his job. Not like today's athletes. <laughs> You're down forty. You're down forty points, and you make a play, and you're celebrating. I'm like, you know, but you're losing by forty. Scoreboard. Yeah, that's the only thing I don't get. You know, if you if it was the winning touchdown, or it was go ahead, maybe. But you know, yeah, I don't absolutely. Know. Oh man, Mike, you need to pull your camera down so we can see your full T-shirt. What we can yes, see. yeah, I know. I do. I try and not cut my head off, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> Ah, I like that. I like that. Women believe in all places where decisions are made. You, you like yep. that? You should see my socks. <laughs> Hold your foot up. <laughs> all right. Way to go. <laughs> I love it. I see you're one of those waist up dressers. Yeah. <laughs>